0: Welcome to Kingdom in Context. The Creator never intended for us to be confused by His words. He gave us His words of life and He gave them in context to be understood and beneficial to our walk with Him. This channel's goal is to bring clarity to some of the misconceptions that have formed over time among believers and taught by others, however innocent and well-intended. The Scriptures make complete sense when we keep them in context of His coming Kingdom and His coming King, Jesus the Messiah. If you're blessed by what we're doing with this channel and feel led to support us, visit the video description below where we have a PayPal option, a monthly Patreon option, or a traditional P.O. box address. Thank you and remember, context creates comprehension. Welcome, fellow brave believers. I'm Sean Griffin. This is Kingdom Cast. You're watching this on Kingdom in Context, and I uh, thank you for joining me again tonight. We are going to do, I guess, it's kind of like a part two tonight, but not quite, because we will talk about some some ideas, some some questions, some scriptures that weren't asked uh, um, in the previous broadcast uh, episode forty-seven. So we're going to be answering your arguments about veganism tonight, because we had um, some people reach out to us that felt like we didn't actually address vegan arguments, which here's the unique part about that claim is that as with all false teachings, and and I, I say this with as much love and compassion as I can, as with all false teachings, verses are taken out of context to support the view. So my initial plan with episode 47 was to give you the fundamental context of ideas the pieces of how the Father works from beginning to end and throughout eternity. So then those misunderstandings of ideas that are taken out of context could rest on the context of fundamentals that was supplied. But as with some and certain types of of doctrines, certain types of teachings that people are very passionate about because they've made an actual life change to follow the specific teaching, they they don't like that style of approach. They don't like the idea that I, instead of direct directly addressing a specific argument that they have worded as they like, as they've had it worded to them originally when they came into this understanding and started thinking this way. If you don't, sometimes what I've noticed um, in several years of, of addressing people's questions and trying to give them the, the you know context of scripture. I've noticed that if you're not addressing that specifically worded type of question the way that they were sold on that idea, then they don't want to hear anything else. And, and you can give them all the fundamentals <laughs> about how the father works, about how his law works, about how his priesthood works, about what his son's doing right now. You can give them you can give them all the verses about it, but it doesn't matter because it's still just bouncing off their forehead. You have yet to you have yet to actually reach them, reach their heart because they have put in their they have put as a as a guard to protect this philosophy that they've, they've built this new lifestyle on, uh, that the guard is that specific wording of something that persuaded them. So I'm going to do my best, uh, tonight, you know, as lovingly as possible to, to address some of the specific wording that I've, uh, received in the past 48 hours, because this type of wording I've seen passed around amongst vegans, and specifically christian vegans uh, for a couple years so it's not just a couple of people with i mean these are these are arguments that um are almost just cut and paste that you see all of them saying and all of them repeating and if you're listening right now i love you that's what you should know and this is not a personal slam against you if you hold this lifestyle if you hold if you disagreed with all the scriptures that i presented the other night it's not it's not about that it's about At some point, somebody has to bring the scriptures to the table to be considered and spoken about. So um, because what the Father has called in his word as good, that's what I want us to know. That's my heart to to teach. So this is where we try to address context, and that's what we'll do tonight. I want to thank everyone for being here. Um, We have quite a few people in the chat already. Um, Mr. E. Paul Levy, or excuse me, Paul Levi, John French, Miss Marsha, The Great Deception, Bill Craddock, Mary W., The Lion Within Us. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. To all my uh, moderators, I really appreciate you being here. Welcome. Thank you for being here. I try to keep the chat civil tonight just in case it gets, it gets crazy. Tiago Montiel, Mr. Howard Sanford. Welcome, welcome, sir. Uh, Scott McVicker, Beetlejuice, Callie J., Cover to Cover with Jeremy Pierce, Vigilant Watchman. Let me see here. Mr. David Shears back. Welcome everybody. Mr. Stephen Schofield. Welcome everyone. And Master Stoop is back. All right, guys. So, what I've done is I've this. This slides are going to look a little different than than maybe you normally have seen me present them. Just simply because they're not, you know, just laid out scriptures. Because what I've done is try to actually put these arguments together. Like I just basically took their words directly and tried to, you know, present them as these are the questions. There's twelve of them that we're going to go through tonight, and as always, I'm sure there'll be more questions in the comments. So we'll do a Q and A at the end, and so keep your questions till the end, um, and then we'll we'll do a little Q and A, uh, and hopefully when we get to them, just make sure to put your questions in all caps. That way we can see them. That's that's the important part, but. Um, All right, guys. So the first question that we want to address tonight. So someone that disagreed the other night and that apparently holds this lifestyle or this philosophy. Their claim is that Yahweh states that animals were originally created for man, for help and companionship. And she's building that statement off of Genesis. I don't know if it's a she. I apologize. This person is building that statement off of Genesis 2, 18 and 19. So we're going to go to Genesis 2 and we're going to look at this and drop it on screen for us. All right. So Genesis 2, 18 and 19, right? That was that was the verse that they're they're citing. This is what they're building their thoughts off of. All right. So it says, And the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. And then it says... Let's go ahead and read verse 20 because um, she may have meant to inc- he or she may have meant to include that as well. the man gave names to all the cattle to the birds of the sky to every beast of the field and for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him So the claim is that Yahweh states that animals were originally created for man for help and companionship yet scripture right here tells us the ones actually being quoted in this in this argument actually tells us the exact opposite that everything that was created amongst animal kind was not suitable for companionship for him, nor for help. That's, that's the actual word. So the reason why I put this one as number one guys uh, in the chat, everyone that's watching is because this is consistent with what we see from a lot of arguments from people um, taking stuff out of context. Uh, This, this direct verse right here, Is exactly the opposite of the statement that this person is building their opening their opening um, argument for this belief system. So, again, that means not only is that called eisegesis where it's your I mean, it's actually a little bit more severe than eisegesis. It's just it's just literally the opposite of what the text says. So we'll keep going, though. Um, We'll keep going. So it says here, um, and not for food as previously established. And I think that's really the bigger issue. I think, you know, to give this person the benefit of the doubt, I I think that was the bigger issue is they just are trying to say, look, you know, that that the father didn't make anything for food for Adam. And again, um, this this person also disagreed with me trying to show them the actual Greek. And they think that, you know, scholars would disagree, which I actually addressed that in the first one. In the first, uh, number 47, the other night where I actually addressed that, of course, scholars come to a translation with preconceived notions and then start adding words, which is where I showed you the words that were added in Genesis chapter 1, 29 and 30, which would give you the impression that God was speaking to two people. Okay, And the this false impression from the inserted trans, uh, the inserted words by the translators. So where God's saying, I give you every tree, every fruit, every herb that bears seed, every tree that bears fruits, uh, fruit bearing seed. And to the animals and to the beasts of the field, and the birds of the air and everything that moves along the ground, I give. So you see, it's, it's like this, this little uh, transition that the inserters have added, excuse me, the translators have added the word to, which is not in the Greek. And it gives it the reading in the English as if God's speaking to Adam. And then he starts speaking to the animals, but that's not what's going on. God's speaking to Adam the whole time in the Greek. And he's telling them, I'll give you all the, the trees, the herbs, the plants and all these animals and the green herbs I'm giving you all this to eat all of it should be for food for you that's what it literally says in the Greek without any interpretation or translation so this is so this is that that would be that's in chapter one which which would be before chapter two which where this argument picks up also the, this tries to claim that Genesis 6 proves that the carnivorous diet was never God's original intent for creation which jubilees and Enoch clarifies with the following passages So all right now even though I just addressed Genesis 1 and 2, And you know that should be it. It's it's never it, right? So it's this is where you know we're going to build on more, and this is stuff taken further out of context about what happens in Genesis. Excuse me, Genesis six and Jubilees five when it talks about the lawlessness that increased before the flood. Now remember the flood. Depending on which timeline you're going with, whether the Masoretic or the Septuagint, the flood came around anywhere from twelve to sixteen hundred years after Genesis one. So what happens well, let's just read this real quick and we'll go to to the to back to genesis and look at it okay so it says uh the, the argument is that that this type of lawlessness that was happening um that's expounded upon in genesis 6 and jubilees 5 is that all flesh corrupted its way cattle and beasts and birds everything that was in the earth they corrupted the ways and began to devour each other This is actually uh, spoken about in Jubilees 5. It's not given to us in in Genesis 6, but it's also talking about in Enoch chapter 7, um, how they going to devour each other's flesh and drink blood, the earthly accusation against the lawless ones. Um, And then, of course, God steps in with this famous statement in in Genesis 6, 7, uh, that he's going to destroy everything. But yet, even within that, there's a caveat, right? There's a contextual caveat. When God steps in and says, I'm going to destroy everything, Everything that has breath, of, uh, that has air its lungs, basically that has the breath of life in it, off the face of the earth. But then, in the same chapters six, seven, and eight, we see him instruct Noah to save all these animals as well as eight people. So he doesn't destroy everything that has the breath of life in it, right? And its nostrils. It's this is where we need context, guys. We you have to read context to understand where something is a is a phrase, a turn of a statement, like a metaphor, an idiom, or analogy, or if something is a is a direct literal statement. This is why. We read the rest of the chapter, read the fullness of the chapter, we look for context. But before we get to Jubilees 5 and Genesis 6 and Enoch 7, talking about the lawlessness and the cannibalism <clears throat> and the animals turning on each other leading up to the flood, let's go back to Genesis 4, about anywhere from 12 to 1500 years before the flood. And we're going to look at what Genesis 4, which is also parodied in Jubilees chapter 4. i look at what it says about. Well, you know, pertaining to meats and sacrifices. And so we've got this famous passage here, right? Where Adam and Eve had a children that Cain and Abel. And um, Abel was a keeper of the flocks and Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel, he, he kept the animals and tended to them. Cain grew food from the ground like a farmer. Came about the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord uh, of the fruit of the ground. Let me, I'm sorry, I'm going to make this bigger so it keeps, I'll get this better here. But Abel, on his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. Now, this is I just want to be clear here because I've taught on this previously. This isn't about Cain, this isn't saying that God just chooses meat over vegetables. No, Cain, Cain didn't bring enough. In fact, if you actually look in the Septuagint, it explains better. Cain did not bring his first fruits properly in the right amounts. This is why it says he didn't divide rightly. And therefore, his his offering was not accepted. Abel did bring the right first fruits of his flock, um, and guys, when it's saying right here the firstlings of the flock and the fat portions, this is if this is out of Leviticus. This is this is the law of God. I've taught on this for two years. This is the law of God. This to, to, to even mention he's bringing the firstlings, Deuteronomy eighteen, and then to bring the fat portions thereof also in Deuteronomy eighteen because the fat portions. They're the, you know, these are the ones that are they're chopped up and specifically diced up as Leviticus uh, chapters one through seven expound upon for different reasons. But also you would have the priest who would be Adam in this occasion. He receives and eats of the best portions of the lamb because that's a part of the the actual offering that's brought forward, that the priest would eat of his portion. There's a there's a burnt offering that goes to the father. The priest eats of his, you know, and so this this is a this is a process that's already being followed because. This is what we see being taught in the garden guys. Let me go here real quick. I did not even plan to do this, but it's coming to mind. So let me bring it up real quick. Um, This is in Jubilees chapter three, I believe. So we'll go here. Let me bring it on the screen for us to look at. All right, so can everyone see that? It's in Jubilees chapter three. All right. So this is after Adam and Eve were created and then they were placed into the garden of Eden, which was a separate geographical location from where they were created from the dust of the earth. And it talks about how in the first week of the first Jubilee, Adam and his wife were in the garden of Eden for seven years, tilling and keeping it. We gave him work. We instructed him to do everything that's suitable for tillage. And he tilled the garden and was naked and knew it not was not ashamed. He protected the garden from the birds and the beasts and the cattle and gathered its fruit and eat and put aside the residue for himself and for his wife. So he's already having to tend to wayward animals that needed guidance. This is the concept of husbandry. So he's already in a position where the animals, if left to their own devices, will not do, do what they're supposed to do, right? They would take care, they would eat up too much of what was to be eaten up. So he is to take care of them. He's to tend to the animals as well as the fruit and eat and put residue for himself and his wife, which are first fruits. He's going to put aside the residue. This is what he's being taught. And this is where it says, we instructed him. This is the angel um, narrating the book of Jubilee on Mount Sinai for 40 days talking to Moses. He's explaining to him the history of the patriarchs of where the Torah, the law of God even came from. This is the whole narrative of the book of Jubilees. Where did the Torah come from, which is the behavior of God given to mankind. Adam was the first man. Adam and Eve were the first of mankind. They were taught the behavior of God. As we talked about in episode 47, two days ago, this is the same Jubilees uh, chapter six directly tells you that the feast of Shavuot is being kept in heaven. And the feast of Shavuot includes animal sacrifices. That's a part of the Torah. So do you think that? Do you think that Adam celebrated Shavuot? It says that the angels in heaven celebrated Shavuot every year, since creation. The angels are with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You think they celebrated Shavuot together? So it basically comes to this uh, to this argument here that um, a lot of a lot of seen from a lot of uh, people that believe in this vegan lifestyle, is that they think that there's no way that the father would love, would, uh, ever, you know, they're just, they have a sympathetic heart towards animals and don't get me wrong. I do too. I love pets. I think they're great. My wife is a super, super fan of, of pets, cats, and she not cats, but mostly dogs. And, uh, she wants some baby goats in the future. And she probably would like a, a llama if she, if she would get away with some. And, um, I mean, she pretty much wants a full on animal zoo if we had enough, you know, opportunity in the future. So I'm okay with that because I, I love animals too. It's not it's not about, you know, the father just being mean towards animals or that what what the enemy has described as animal cruelty and trying to impose on what the father called was his way of life, which was creating a meal and having that with us and fellowship. That's what sacrifices were. So the word sacrifices itself has been made a bad term by other religions that try to say the law of God is bad. And so this is what we're looking at here is we're looking at, um, in Genesis, bring it back over for us. We're looking at Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. They're doing the law of God. They're bringing forward sacrifices. This is in the very beginning, way before the animals started turning to each other in Jubilees 5 and Genesis 6, way before the fallen angels got involved or the, the rebellious watchers, I should say, before they got involved and started teaching mankind all kinds of corruption, way before all that. This is in the very beginning, Cain and Abel following the father's behavior, because that's what was taught to them. They're literally bringing forward first fruits. Student Army 18, guys. So really, I think what this boils down to, and I'm going to get to, this is we're only at question one. I mean, what is, geez, I'm already 19 19 minutes in. Um, What it really boils down to, and you're going to see this more and more as we go through these questions, is that. Uh, excuse me. These arguments. This is not about. This is yes. This is about finding context in the scriptures. But it's it's not even that simple. I guess what we're what we're going to see tonight is, it's about knowing the Torah. It's about knowing the Father's behavior, and His instructions. What He called righteousness. What He called His behavior. His ways. Deuteronomy um, Psalm nineteen one through three. Deuteronomy 6, 25, Deuteronomy four. Uh, this Leviticus eighteen. He says, "I give you my statutes to practice." Like this. This is His behavior so it's what veganism is doing with these arguments is they're they're saying that the fathers behavior is bad that's the deception guys that's what I'm that's why i felt like it was finally time for me to address this topic so P.S. is asking what about the animals after they die? There's, there's no, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us animals, um, were intended to live forever. This is the promise only given to mankind. This is why we were created greater than all the animals. That they're, they don't have the same capacity. They don't have the same kind of soul like we do. Could they be resurrected? Sure, sure. Could your house pet that you had when you were a kid that maybe passed on when you were 14 years old that you loved to death since you were. A, a little baby, you know, your your dog or your cat or whatever. Could they be resurrected in the kingdom with you? Sure. Why not? Yes. If the father willed it, he could. Of course, they're not given the promise of the covenant like mankind is. This is a totally different game. This, this is the big conflation also within veganism arguments is that, you know, oh, well, you know, Revelation 21, there's no death, you know, in the New Jerusalem. So therefore, you, you possibly you know, all the verses that are read from Ezekiel and Zechariah and Isaiah, that can't be right because there's no it's only talking about men, guys. It's promising there's no death for mankind. Oh, and by the way, good news, good news for the resurrected people in the New Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus in John 10 said, you see the things I do, I'll tell you you'll be able to do these things in greater. Yeah, he was referring to your glorified resurrected body when you get in the New Jerusalem. What did Yeshua do that we'll be able to do those things and greater? Well, he resurrected things. He raised to life the dead. So, I don't see any problem <laughs> with you know if there was a an accident in the millennial reign and a, and, a, and an animal died that wasn't a part that wasn't dedicated for a sacrifice. If you want to resurrect it, if it was the Father's will, that's fine. You have the power to do it, and uh, and you'll know because you'll be a, you'll be in perfect unity with the Father as promised the covenant. So I mean I guess it really I guess a huge part of these arguments come from just and I say this as as lovingly as possible, please hear my heart, guys. Because I know I, I I don't I don't know any other way to say this, and I know that people don't like what I'm about to say. But it these arguments are latched onto because it just shows a, a, a deficiency in understanding of the Word of God. So let's keep going real quick, and we'll we'll keep moving through this. Okay, so here it is in. The rest of this was, um, let's go to part two. Uh, the second argument that, that I've seen, uh, Miss Marsha, Exodus 12 says that you can eat a goat if you don't have lamb available. So check out Exodus 12. Hopefully that's a Quick answer for you, sister. All right, so argument two says, you stated that the promise of Revelation 21, one through four, applies to only the elect and not animals, but Hosea 2, 16 through 20, states otherwise. And it shall be in that day, says Yahweh, and this is the person, according to Hosea 2, it shall be in that day, says Yahweh, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master, for I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. And in that day, I will make a covenant with them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air and with the creepy things of the ground bow and sword of battle. I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Um, So as always, let's, let's check, let's check the, first of all, I would say the very last statement is wonderful context for us to let us know what this covenant is. It's a covenant of peace that there will be no war because animals ecosystem and all the, the migrant life of animals are drastically affected by war, just like mankind. So this is, Could be exactly why that statement was in there. The father saying he'll take the bow and the shatter of the battle of war from from the land. So let's look at at the um, chapter 2 of Hosea 16 through 20. All right. In fact, looks like as this prophecy begins up in 14, let's start reading. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there, in the valley of Acor, as a door of hope. And she will sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi, and you will no longer call me Bali. For I will remove the names of the bells from her mouth, so that they will be mentioned by their names no more. In that day I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground." I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and will make them lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. It will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens, and they will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, to the new wine, to the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who have not obtained compassion, and I will say to those who are not my people, "You are my people," and they will say, "You are my God." Okay. So, from my understanding, from what I'm what I'm reading here in verse eighteen, which seems to be the the hinge point of this argument, this is: I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the creeping things of the bow, of the ground. I will abolish the bow. So, this quote says, "I will make a covenant for them." With the birds, beast of the field. She's quoted it accurately here. He or she, I apologize. I don't know. I can't tell from YouTube handles sometimes. Um so this is let's let's look. Is this does this have anything to do with saying that that animals will not be used for sacrifices? I can't see it, guys. I really I don't see anything in this passage that would allude to saying that. Sacrifices in the millennial reign When the restoration of Israel happens and, and the resurrected saints are brought to the New Jerusalem I don't see anything that says That they'll, the animals themselves Will no longer be an ingredient In the law of God that's used and, and kept throughout the millennial reign When Israel is restored Let's go to other passages Where Israel is restored Let's look at some of these things uh, What's a good one 35, Zion's happy future It's the New Jerusalem Um, it's either this one and 32. Yeah, so it talks about there, no lion will be there, no will any vicious beast go upon it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. So we already kind of understand this from, was it um, Isaiah 9? That the animal's nature will change where they'll no longer attack mankind, which to me, that also could fit in Hosea 2.18 as well, right? I'll make a covenant with them, uh, for them, with the beasts of the field. Uh, so there's no war and there's no dangerous animal, you know, to be thinking of. Um, it's actually 11.9. Where it talks about the um, the cow. And the bear will graze, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nurse, nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den, they will not hurt or destroy, and all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this is something to consider, guys. What the knowledge of the Lord is given to us in the Torah. And he says that his sacrifices are part of his feast days, his Sabbaths. They're part of when, you know, the coming together and drawing near to him. Because you're bringing the ingredients for a meal to make a meal with the Father and enjoy fellowship with Him. I have never found a verse that says that will change, whenever the Millennial Reign comes and the New Jerusalem sets down on the earth. In fact, all we do see is that Torah is going to actually be taught from the from the Millennial Reign, and everyone in, inside the city and outside the city are going to bring their animals and their first fruits, their offerings, their ties what they're supposed to bring according to the Torah, because they've all been taught the Torah. They're all going to bring it to, uh, to the New Jerusalem. So um, again, this would be, argument two would be, my understanding is that the actual words from the passages being quoted is taken out of its context, being forced into a vegan argument. Let's go again here to, sorry guys, let's go to number three. Argument three says, Hosea 6.6 further states, Yahweh's displeasement, and let's go here. This is a big one I hear all the time. All the time, all the time. So this is Yahweh. um, Hosea 6, 6 further states, Yahweh's displeasement with the sacrificial system. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than the burnt offerings. Also Psalm 51, 16. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Be very careful, Sean, in teaching that animal sacrifices are Yahweh's behavior. It's simply not true. And then we're going to get to Jeremiah 7 as well. Let's look at Hosea 6.6. Let's do this right now. All right. For I delight in loyalty. Sometimes it's called mercy. It's, it's, It's actually the same word in the Hebrew. I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Do we know what the context of this passage is? This whole concept here in Hosea is that the people of the day of of the house of Ephraim. Look at this, guys. Look at the the context here. This is Yahweh saying, what shall I do with you, northern Israel, the, the house of Israel, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, like the dew which goes away quickly. Your loyalty that you guys, the history during the prophet, the days of the prophet is Hosea, the context, which is the audience, the time, the setting of the letter of Hosea from the prophet Hosea. Both houses were in great apostasy. They turned from the covenant. They were no longer doing the behavior of the Lord. They were breaking the terms of the covenant. They were they were in for the land. He's about to scatter them. And he's telling them. But here's the thing, guys, if you if you haven't studied the middle part of the Bible, You'll, you won't see that they were worshiping the Baals of the high places, but they still had the temple going. They still had Levites giving sacrifices all the time and doing the law of the Lord. But they were whoring. They went whoring after other gods. This is why Yahweh calls it that, because they were still sacrificing to Yahweh. But then they were also doing all this other stuff to these other gods as well at the same time. In fact, if you read um, you know, 100 years after Hosea in the days of Ezekiel, chapter 8 and 9, you see that they were actually doing worship to false gods in the temple of God. And still doing sacrifices. And they were actually bringing in uh, people that weren't even Levites and weren't even circumcised, nor in heart, nor in flesh, nor of the right descendancy of Levi. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in false priests and doing worshiping false gods as well as sacrificing Yahweh at the same time in the temple. They were in apostasy. That's the whole context of the book of Hosea. This is, a, I mean, this is, this is, <laughs> this is not good. This, he goes on to say, but like Adam, they've transgressed the covenant. They've dealt treacherously against me. This is why he says the house of Israel and frames harlotry. Israel is defiled. And the same thing. Same thing for Judah. In fact, he actually, Jeremiah actually talks about this in Jeremiah 3, 8 through 12. It talks about Israel who got scattered because of you know their treachery, because they left the covenant. And they stopped doing the behavior of the Torah and the commandments. And then Judah, the, the southern kingdom, came back, but not wholeheartedly. And this is what we see throughout that hundred years between the days of Hezekiah to Zedekiah. It was good king, bad king, good king, bad king. They were wishy-washy, and they were not faithful, and they end up getting scattered as well by Nebuchadnezzar. So this is this is part of the history, the context of this whole chapter of what's going on here. No, this does not say, I've done away with my Torah, all that stuff I had you guys been doing for the last several hundred years with the priests and the temple and all the instructions for the tabernacle that I gave you to carefully move the ark and bring all this stuff at the right time and the reason why that Yahweh um, fire came out from the angel of from the, from the tabernacle tent of meeting and burnt and killed Aaron's two sons in Leviticus nine because they brought the wrong incense, strange fire, and put it. All that stuff is useless, guys. I don't want any of that. I just want your loyalty. Loyalty to what? The whole point of having loyalty is that you're doing what he told you to do. <laughs> he's he's sitting here. He's trying to tell him he in in the midst of him reprimanding. Them For not doing the Torah Which included animal sacrifices He's telling them You're not faithful to me Your sacrifices don't mean anything Your burnt offerings don't mean anything If your heart's not circumcised to me If your heart's not loyal to me If you're not showing mercy to the inhabitants of the land and guess if you don't know what was going down With some of these kings in the northern kingdom And even like leading up to the days of Manasseh as well They were forcing the people and, And persecution Like to where groups of them during this time period were fleeing to the south and trying to leave. Many of them went down to Ethiopia, some of them were killed by the Edomites. And it was just they were being, they were under oppression from their own governmental system, from the corrupt kings of the house of Israel, the house of Judah. This the father is in no way changing what he called eternal in the book of Leviticus. He's literally calling out their duplicity and their hypocrisy and their double-mindedness, their their bad behavior. He's calling that out. Because just like today, you can go through the motions and you can you can wear zit zit and you can not work on the Sabbath and you can, you know, I'm saying you can go through the motions and and you know tell people that they need to do the Torah. But if your heart isn't circumcised to the Father, what are you doing? So he he's dealing with a severe case of that right here during the days of Hosea between both houses. This is not a command from the Father that it does away with the system that he actually keeps in heaven. So let's keep looking here as uh, Jeremiah 7, 21 through 24. Let's go there because the claim is Jeremiah 7, 21 through 24 clearly states that the sacrificial system was not originally part of his covenant with Israel. This is where I say we, we, we must learn the Torah folks. We must learn the law and the prophets. This is, this is how we disciple. Step one in your discipleship. You've got to learn the law and the prophets. All right, so Jeremiah 7, 21 through 24. um, The argument is that it clearly states sacrifices were not part of it. So let's, let's read it and let's see. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices, eat flesh. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I command them, saying, obey my voice and I will be your God. You'll be my people. You will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. For yet they did not obey nor incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and stubbornness of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. So he's saying, I brought them out of the land of Egypt. He says, For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in that day that I brought them out concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's right. You guys remember Exodus 19? That's, I mean, that's the first moment he actually starts speaking to them in mass, obviously through Moses and Aaron, he already told them like, guys, we're in Exodus 12. Okay. Let's just do this quickly. One, one step at a time here. All right. So look, Exodus 19, midway through the book. This is, he brings them third month, beginning third month. he, He assembles all the Israel that came out of the Exodus from Egypt, assembled at the base of Mount Sinai, Moses goes up the mountain several times. The father speaks. It's like a booming voice. You remember the people had to get ready three days ahead of time and wash themselves in their clothes and get ready. And they were like, yeah, we hear your words. All we'll say we'll do. In fact, let, let you just speak to Moses because we're this is terrifying. This whole moment right there, he's telling them if you will indeed obey my voice, you should be my own possession among the people's for all the earth is mine. Well, guys, look, look what's going on here. Look at the look at the bottom of this. Look at the bottom of this chapter. He didn't want anyone to touch the mountain because they were going to be physically hurt if they touched the mountain that God was glory cloud and the fire cloud was on top of. He says, also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. This is what we've tried to explain for two, three years actually on this channel is that there are priests already involved in this exodus, which the job of a priest is to do the Torah, which involves an animal sacrifice. What? let's go to, to the beginning of, of the book of Exodus, because what we're doing is, is people are taking this Jeremiah 7, 21 verse, and they're saying, see, he didn't talk to him about sacrifices that day. Yes, they were already going on. <laughs> you remember the whole conversation with Pharaoh? The whole point was that let us go so that we might go sacrifice to our God on the mountain. Uh, this was this. I don't I think it was uh, chapter six, maybe. They actually tell this to Pharaoh. See if I can find it real quick. Now, those are the families. Mm-hmm. One second, guys. All right, chapter eight, I guess I was off by a chapter. Okay. So this is the part where Moses and Aaron, they're actually telling Pharaoh, let my people go so they may go serve me. What were they going to go do when they went out to serve me? And this is actually the word worship. So this this is the word worship, right? They're going to go worship me. And this is actually a milk and meat that I've been meaning to do is the actual definition of the word worship in Old Testament scriptures. There's several different uses of it. Um, So this is to work and to serve him. What do they do when they get out there? Their whole the whole purpose of them to go out there is to do what? They right after that Exodus nineteen moment, what do they do? The priests, the elders, Moses and Aaron, two of the priesthood, the elders they go in Exodus twenty four and they actually set up an altar and they and the whole congregation celebrates shavuot. And this of course is uh, Hebrew Exodus three eighteen. This is actually the verse I was truly looking for. So it says, they will pay heed to what you say with you. The elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go three days into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. Um, This has always been going on, guys. This is why Abraham is doing sacrifice. Just Genesis four, as we talk, Adam and Eve and Abel, Cain, they're doing sacrifices. This is an eternal instruction. This is what they're doing in heaven. This is why Julie six tells us the angels in heaven have been keeping the feasts since creation began. So this is the same instruction that's passed on to mankind to practice on the earth. That's, that's what this is all about guys. Um, Let me check the chat. I'm sorry. I haven't checked the, check the chat in a minute. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly J. This is the whole reason we have Leviticus 11 and Jeremy 14. The father directly tells us some animals are food, some are not. At no point does the father ever say, Oh yeah, uh, we're only doing this This animal. I'm only letting you eat animals for a certain period of time, but then you won't again. He never says that in scriptures, ever. Ever. In fact, from Genesis 1 all the way to the millennial reign, animals are included as a food source. Always have been. Mr. E, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, contact. Yeah, appreciate you, brother. Hopefully they're a blessing to you. Thank you for the super chat. All right. So, um, Uh, that to me guys i'm I'm trying to be as nice as possible but we have the idea of the father this is this is this big statement that that uh this people that have adopted veganism will throw around a lot which is a desire mercy not sacrifice That's a specific context and he's talking about apostasy and duplicity and then them trying to appease yahweh even though they are still worshiping the other bells and they're this is why he called them whoring after other gods they were they, they were trying to serve two masters, and you can't do that. So he never said <laughs> um, to do away with his system that he put in place, which is his own behavior that he always has kept. And then Jeremiah seven twenty-one through 24 is does not state what vegans claim of it. So this is, let's look at number four real quick. So then what purpose did the sacrifices serve? This is someone trying to quote, quote Galatians 3. It says, it was added because of transgression. So as you know, like this top sentence here, many of you who are studied in the scriptures probably already recognize that they've actually changed the wording of Galatians in order to support their argument. So let's look at Galatians 3.13. And by the way, yes, I have read Galatians, just in case people are wondering. So Galatians 3.13. Um, was that the quote? Yeah, I think they got it off. They were off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not even seeing the right verse being quoted. But um, I'm trying to remember is it is it in f- three or four? Let's look at it real quick. All was added because of transgressions, not sacrifices. It's Galatians 3.19. So we were close. It was, it was an easy mistake. Easy mistake. They just put 3.13 accidentally. It says, why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed of to whom the promise had been made. So, why the law then it was ordained through angels? Right, the people that came out of Egypt did not know the law. This is why they had to be taught it. This is why they had priests among them, the Levites, that were already keeping the law still amongst their family and their tribe in in Goshen. But the majority of the of the Hebrews that came out of Egypt had a lot of Egypt in them. This is why they were so sort rebellious of and stubborn. And he was telling, he was re-upping the covenant, which is what Shavuot is about every year. He was re-upping the covenant with them to say, if you will do these, because and I'm offering this covenant to you because your forefathers kept the same covenant and were faithful, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is explained to us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. The whole reason he offered the covenant to those who came out of Egypt were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the ones that came out of the Egypt were not worshiping Yahweh. The majority of them were not, I should say. Obviously, the Levites still were. Thankfully, they had a priesthood in, in place already. But even then, they got extra instructions at Sinai, the fullness of the law, in order to do the traveling tabernacle, to understand you know, how to interact with the ark they were to build and all the things inside, the trappings inside the, the tabernacle. There was a lot more instructions than what they were just keeping that had been passed down from Abraham. This is why we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob doing sacrifices. Because they already knew the law of God. This is this the same behavior. So this is where again, as you can see, as uh, this is this argument is it, the sacrifices. <laughs> the law of God is not just sacrifices. So this argument tries to impose the word sacrifices in this verse where it's not that at all. It's why the law then. So it's yeah again we're we're not even taking stuff out of context in some of these arguments. We're literally making stuff up. That's not in Scripture. So we got fifth argument real quick. Revelation twenty fourteen states that death and haze are cast in the lake of fire and that death will be gone forever. Again, this is talking about humans. All of The whole context of Revelation 20 is that it's the, who is being judged. That's the point of the actual passage. The animals are not brought before Yeshua to be judged. It's all about mankind. This whole story is about the redemption of mankind, not the redemption of animals. This is where we fall into a really slippery slope, guys, with with our our thought process and thinking that you know animals should be sh- cherished and valued on the same level that that God values mankind. Yes, he loves them. Don't get me wrong. It's Jonah, Jonah chapter four. I think it's what, verse 20. Um, yes, we know that the father loves the beasts of the field that he created. We get it. Yeah, he does. Mankind's a little different. We are given higher authority, we're given a higher placement in the creation. We were were given a higher promise than even the angels. So this is the promise of the covenant that applies to man. It doesn't apply to the angels. It doesn't apply to the the fish in the sea. It doesn't apply to the birds in the air or the beasts of the ground or things that crawl along the ground. It doesn't apply to any of that. They get to enjoy all the benefits of mankind stepping into the promises of the covenant. So this is why. All right, first of all, I'm going to go to that. It's in Romans chapter 8, but this is why. In this whole passage here that's being quoted, it's not talking about animals. This is why this, this insertion, this isogetical concept is being forced into the text that's not there. It does not promise eternal life for animals. But why would the entire creation be excited? Because they get to benefit and reap the benefits of us coming into to the sons of God be revealed. Um, right here it says... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the, not to animals, to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So this is the point, this is why it goes on later to say, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The whole creation is waiting for the resurrection so that the saints of God can rule with Christ on the earth and there's peace on the earth because the animals and the ecosystem of the earth is being assaulted right now because of unrighteousness. So this is, it, it all has to do with the covenant given to man. None of it's given to animals. Neither are the benefits. Uh, we already went over Isaiah eleven earlier. Same concept. Um, this is actually. Let's go to Ecclesiastes three nineteen because it does not say that the animals have the spirit of God living in them just as we do. So that's. I'm sorry. Let me read the. Let me read the claim. I'm going probably too fast. I'm Trying to cover some ground here. It's already forty eight minutes. Um, it just says knowing that that animals do have the spirit of God living in them just as we do. All right. Again, this is where the argument comes from, from sympathy towards animals to the point of putting them on the same level as humanity and the promises given to mankind. This is not in scripture, guys. This is why I've called it, lovingly, I've called it a doctrine of demons because it comes from demonic occult religions. It does not come from scripture. This whole mentality, this sense of compassion that ignores the word of God, it's okay to have compassion and love for the creation and for and for animals but when it starts causing you to transgress what god said was good you fall into error okay and this is the trickery of it let's go to ecclesiastes chapter 3 because this is the claim that they have the exact same spirit of us 319 all right for the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. Let's keep reading. All go to the same place. All come from the dust, and all return to the dust. So, if this is to be taken in the literal sense that it's being used by this argument from, from those who support veganism, throw out the whole covenant to mankind and your resurrection your salvation, throw it all out. You don't have it. Because that's what they think. Man and beast have all the same fate. Nothing's promised to beasts. So that's very glim and and that's a lack of hope for mankind. And that interpretation of what this is actually saying goes against the rest of the scriptures, the covenant given to mankind by God. Again, this is a passage that is speaking about justice and wickedness and that people that are dying Um, and that where they go when they die, right? So this is a concept that they all have the same fate, meaning they're all going to die. Animals are going to die. Man's going to die. Mortal man. You have, this is, this would be taking that on a very, very isolated pinpointed view that ignores the rest of the context of what is offered to mankind, but is not offered to all the beasts of the earth. So this is why this passage and that interpretation is out of context. Let's keep going. Number six, you quote Hebrews 8, 3 through 5 as evidence for Shua making atonement in heaven by means of animal sacrifice. Yes, I do. And I'm going to read the rest of her statement, but I'm going to go remind if you, this may be the first time you, you've saw this uh, me address this topic, you haven't watched um, number 47. So let's go back to it real quick, because that's exactly what it says. I can't be more clear. This literally is exactly what it says. Now, the main point in what has been said is this, that we have such a high priest who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary in the troop tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it's necessary that this high priest, that's Yeshua, also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. So I just told you that they're doing the same things in heaven. They're doing the law and the priest has to bring gifts and sacrifices. Those are defined for us in the Torah in Leviticus. They're animals. They're the, the actual slaughtered properly with the right seasonings, the right thing. They're animals cooked on the altar before God. Depending on the sacrifice, some of it's given to the father and some of it the priest eats. Because you're having a cookout, you're having a meal, you're having a family meal with your father, your heavenly father. That's all it is. That's all it is, guys. So the the argument is that um, I should keep reading the rest of Hebrews, which says that Christ came as a high priest of so the good things to come, with the greater, more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. Guys, sacrifices are done in a tabernacle, and it says, "Oh, but verse twelve, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption." Yes, exactly. Let's go to let's go to chapter nine. Let's look at the context of chapter nine, verse eleven through twelve. And uh this is right here, but he Christ appeared the good things that come, entered through the greater more perfect tabernacle. I just read it to you, right? But, and this is the part that people like to throw out because this is actually a carryover from Catholicism into Protestant mainstream Christianity that is repeated by people lovingly who have not spent time reading the Old Testament, and they ignore the actual context of the earlier part of this chapter, because the whole concept of this is that. In the covenant between mortal priests, is you have the children of Aaron, you have him and his, they had to bring in the priests um, before they could enter into the Holy of Holies, they had to make atonement for themselves and for their children. They had to they had to do that. They were imperfect. They had already sinned. This is not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. This guys, is the Torah. This is Leviticus 16. Yeshua doesn't have to do that because he doesn't have sin. That's why he can enter into by quote unquote his own blood. He doesn't go in there with the super soaker and he's showing his blood everywhere. No, he enters, he doesn't throw any blood. He, the father doesn't accept human blood. This is an idiomatic statement, assuming that the reader understands the law of God because the people that this was written to had already been discipled in the law of God. So for one. It's, we know that this is a metaphoric phrase because God does not accept human blood inside his tabernacle. Two, a high priest doesn't bring his own blood inside a tabernacle. That's him saying because of his purity, his perfect obedience, he enters in through his own blood. That was a, it's, an, it's a metaphoric reference to the blood of the bulls and the goats and the calves that were brought in through their pure blood, which is exactly why there was a qualifier for which ones could be chosen and brought into the tabernacle. The sons of Aaron or the descendants of Aaron, who are the priests during this time period that's given, they were not perfect. They were imperfect. They sinned and they needed to make atonement for themselves and their families first before they went in to do the atonement duties for the rest of Israel. And this is what we're told in the first like nine or ten verses of Leviticus 16. So this again, this would be something that we would say is taking out of context. You're taking something out of context to ignore a blatant statement. So this is Tatisa Yeshua is making continuous atonement for our sins by killing animals in heaven is blasphemy. Okay? So maybe they had a Catholic background. That's where that word comes from. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. <laughs> yes, they were never meant to because it requires a priest to take away the sins. The blood of the bulls and goats was for the mortal priests on the ground who needed to cleanse and atone the vessels on the ground that got dirty and unsanctified and unclean. And this is the process they were going in for themselves, the tabernacle furniture and the, the utensils and everything that needed to be cleansed. But Yeshua walks into a clean tabernacle with his perfection of his life, of his body, of his perfected, glorified, resurrected body and his perfect Perfect obedience, which the previous context of Hebrews chapter 5, 7 through 10 already explains to you so that he doesn't have to do these processes like mortal men who are imperfect. He walks into a perfect tabernacle, was a perfect high priest, and does the same instructions, which is bringing forward a meal with the Father. Yes, it includes animals, because that is what actually goes through the pro- that whole process, needs a high priest that can step before the Father. That's so important in the process. So again, like I've said before, and, and you know, lovingly, if you're if you're trying to understand Hebrews, you need to put it down for a minute you need to go read Leviticus and Numbers and understand the priesthood first. So then you can understand the language that's being used in the book of Hebrews. Let's look at number seven. Heavenly sacrifices are spiritual and does not involve the death of animals. Hebrews 13, 10 through 6. Is that what it really says? Let's go look at it. Hebrews 13, 10 through 10 through 16. Okay. Well, it's, again, it's smack dab in the middle of an entire paragraph. Um, well, it's uh, talking about altars, the eating, but let's just, let's just restart with the, um, man, I'm going to have to read several chapters here just to give you some good context, but uh, let's just, there's some random, okay, let's start in verse seven. It says, for those of you For those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Does not change. Does not change, guys. He kept the law when he was in the flesh. He keeps the law when he's glorified. He kept the law before he became in the flesh. When he was king of heaven, he was beside the father. He's always kept the law. Um, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings for its for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Some of the altar in heaven. Because the during the day in the Hebrews, in the day of Hebrews, when this is being written, there's the corrupted priesthood, the same priesthood that slandered, murdered, and lied and, and killed Yeshua. That priesthood, yeah, they have no right to eat of the heavenly tabernacle in, in, in the heavens because they're corrupt and wicked and sinful, bird of vipers. It says, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So he's applying an action from the Torah that you would have to know and understand from the Torah. Some of the behavior that happened during Jesus's life as a metaphor or an analogy. And then in verse 13, it says, so let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we did not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. They were under persecution. This is the context of the letter of Hebrews to the scattered brethren under great persecution by the Hebrews and by the synagogue of the Pharisees that had already ousted them from fellowship. So this is why they're talking about being outside the camp, being outside the city, just like Yeshua was um, bearing his reproach because they were being persecuted too. So it goes on to say, through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise of God, that is, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing any good and sharing for those, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So now we're using the term sacrifices, not in a literal sense of an animal being slain on an altar, but in your obedient behavior of showing love to others, which is a part of Torah. The reason why he's saying this is because of what he already said in the previous chapter. They don't have, they've been kicked out. The timeline, the history, the context, the audience who's being spoken to of the book of Hebrews, they have been disallowed from going to the temple as Christians who believe in Jesus. And this was something that was uh, you know, initiated by the Pharisees in the first century. It's a historical fact. They were not able to go and actually keep the Torah like they wanted to. They were under reproach. They were under persecution. And he's saying, so we're just going to have to do our best and... Do good to others, and let the fruit of our lips be thanks to Him, and continually offer up sacrifices of praise, knowing that they have been because everything that was coming to fulfillment had already been prophesied that they would be put out of the synagogue. Remember, it's in Matthew, is it Matthew eleven or Luke eleven that Yeshua warned them that they would be put out of the synagogue; they would they would not be allowed to uh, to worship; they would they would be ousted from you know their their fellow brethren because of the behavior of the Pharisees and the corruption that was going on. For because they were following Jesus, so this is this is the reference here it has nothing to do, nothing absolutely to do with this statement that heavenly sacrifices are spiritual, does not involve the death of animals. It doesn't. It's just again something taken out of context. Um, this is a quick one. Israel. Uh, some of the claims is that when Israel left Egypt, the father only gave the manna. They when they complained. About wanting meat, the father became angry and sent a plague upon them. Um, he actually gave them quail, <laughs> not just the fact that he gave them quail in addition to the manna. And this is where the person says, well, the quail made them sick and they got plagued because they were complaining. It, it, so therefore they try to apply that story, meaning that, oh, see, it's bad. You know, it's bad that you eat the meat. And the father did this because he didn't want the meat. Meet, he just wanted to give them the, the bread of heaven, the bread of angels. Guys. Like I read earlier, Exodus chapter 3, chapter 7, chapter 8, the whole point of them going out of Egypt and going through the Exodus was to go out and sacrifice to God. What are you sacrificing? The manna from heaven hadn't fell yet. wasn't even mentioned when they were told to to go tell Pharaoh to let them go and go sacrifice to their God. They were going out to keep a feast day. They were going out to keep Shavuot, which includes a sacrifice. Just as we talked about episode 47, Jubilees chapter 6, Angels in heaven do the same thing every year. They keep Shavuot, they sacrifice. So, number nine, eating animals is the result of the anger of the Father. Nope. It's the, the Father has called the concept of bringing an animal, a specific type of animal, preparing it in a specific way with a specific priest and a specific ingredients. He's called that righteousness. Deuteronomy 6.25. To keep all my ordinances and statues, it'll be righteousness for you. It's not because of his anger. Guys, did you know there's sacrifices of joy? There's there's animal sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. Leviticus chapter 2. Again, many of the folks that hold these arguments lovingly, please spend time in your front part of your Bible. The law and the prophets are very important to understand so that you don't fall prey to some of this bad stuff. This bad doctrine that's just ripped right out of context. Number 10, Jeremiah 8 states that the lion pen of the scribes wrote falsely. The guys, I've I seen this not just used for, for the vegan argument. I see this particular chapter, Jeremiah 8 thing brought up for all types of false teachings that, that you can't support with Scripture. But they just say, well, I, I you know, you don't know what it says because we got the lion pen of the scribes. We don't know what it originally said. That could have been changed. So it's Jeremiah 8 states that the lion pen of the scribes wrote falsely. And Ezekiel 20 says the Father gives commandments that aren't good. <laughs> Let's go to Ezekiel 20. The lion pen of the scribes, guys, not only was that circumstantial to Jeremiah's day, because they were, yes, yes, the, the lion pen of the scribes. They tried to, to make in, uh, changes to the text of the law of God. Jeremiah is in the in the generation about to be invaded and scattered in the days of Baruch. Nebuchadnezzar's coming in with the Chaldean army, the Babylonians. But the book of Ezra, which happens a couple hundred uh, hundred something years later, when they come back from captivity, he rewrites all of the books through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with other, pro- or with other uh, scribes and, and dictates them properly. So the statement in Jeremiah 8 is a, almost 200 years before the days of Ezra, and this is a completely different context to time period. All the manuscripts were restored by a priest that the father trusted as a high priest and a prophet. Jeremiah 8 is no longer you guys I, I the reason I say that is because when people keep bringing up Jeremiah 8 you can now look to them and say that is completely out of context that whatever problem was Jeremiah was talking about in Jeremiah 8 was was fixed in the days of Ezra now granted I've done I've done uh, videos on the first century pharisees have tried to take stuff out of the Greek Septuagint to hide Yeshua so we have a new problem now but they didn't take a, they didn't change all the law of God to to make sacrifices something that God never said because it was always a part of it. It's always there. Let's go to Ezekiel 20 real quick and let's look at this. Um, thanks for bearing with me guys. We're almost done. We just got a few more, but I want to do due diligence on this so that folks understand, um, these arguments, they're just, they're just not good. They're everything's taken out of context. Everything is, um, it's either taken out of context, or just not in the words, or it's inserted where it's just not there, and it's just it. Yeah, I I really struggle with it. Um, this is why I don't normally do a show like this, right? I would rather just uh. I would rather just um. I guess do a debate maybe. On something like this, but, um, and I'd rather, and this is why instead of addressing all these, that's why the whole purpose of my first show was simply to show you the foundation so that these arguments won't make sense to you anymore. When you actually understand the foundation of how God's eternal law actually works. There was priesthood, um, it'll help you understand Hebrews, help you understand millennial reign better and help you understand Genesis four with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and help you understand passages like Jubilee six. You understand why are the angels saying they keep Shavuot in heaven? How does that work? Why does the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of heaven, come down and they're doing sacrifices inside? Why is the wedding supper of the Lamb literally meat served before you in the kingdom of heaven? So I guess when people say, hey, Sean, you didn't address the actual arguments of this of this topic. And I'm like, I did. I just don't think you understood like my approach to addressing them, which was, do I answer all the out-of-context stuff and do what I'm doing now? Or do I teach you the foundation, which is what someone should have done a long time ago? You know, this is this is where I guess my my approach is uh, I try to cut right to the quick of things as opposed to addressing all the the distractions, the superficial distractions. Um, I forgot what I was actually looking up. I apologize. Where are we at? Is it going this father's statements are good? Oh, OK, that's right. This is, this is actually used for more than just vegan arguments. Um, I can't remember the exact verse in Ezekiel 20. I have to skim through it real quick guys. I apologize. He's just talking about rebellion for the most part, that he had given them good he'd given them the law, given them the Sabbaths. Um but they had rebelled. All right, where was it? Where was it? Where was it here? Was it verse 12? Nope, missed the Sabbath. You guys, put it in the comments if y'all can remember the actual verse. Uh, Benjamin K is asking, why don't we celebrate the feast or keep the commandments? I don't I don't know, brother. Uh, we do as best we can in the dispersion as prophesied. So we we do. My family does. Um I'm not sure if your family does, but you're you're welcome to. It's a part of practice and it's behavior. You're welcome to. Uh trip 2776. Thank you so much for the super chat. I really appreciate it. It says thank you for your love and patience. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I'm I'm trying to be patient. Um uh, it's, Yes, I have. I actually addressed it number 47, Alexander, that yes, modern animals that they do have antibiotics, hormones, things like that. Um, But here's the good news. You can find natural suppliers. My wife and I have, and we live in a small community. So you can find natural suppliers around you that doesn't serve chemically processed, big, you know, big, what was it called? Um, You know big beef. I don't know if that's the term or not big beef. It's like big pharma, but, um, but you can find local suppliers of, you know, hormone-free, antibiotic-free beef and lamb. You can, they're everywhere all across the country in every state. Yeah. People have been kind of caught onto that natural process for 20, 30 years now. So there's a lot of people out there that, that don't do vaccines or hormones or injections into their meat. They just raise it naturally, let them grass feed and then go to take them to slaughter. You can find clean beef. It's that should not be Um, that should not be an excuse in my opinion, but that's, you know, that's brought up a lot. So yes, I did address that last time. So yeah, by the way, um, SDAs, I think Ellen White and also one of their lead founders were both vegetarian of SDA. So this is why your friend's trying to make you vegan from, from SDAs. Yeah. That's par for the course. Oh, thank you, Becca. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm trying, I'm trying. I really appreciate your super chat. And Miss Marsha, you too. I appreciate your super chat. Thank you so much. I'll let Lindsay know. Um, Okay. Let's get, let me, uh, did you guys know the verse? I can't remember the actual verse in Ezekiel 20 where it says I gave them commandments that were not good. I'm trying to remember the exact verse. One second. I think it was, I thought it was verse 12, but I was wrong. Is it verse 2? I don't like there to be dead air, but I'm trying to. I just want to try to read and keep up with the chat at the same time. Because basically he's saying right here in um, verse 16, can you guys see this? I don't know if you see, see this or not. He's saying right here in verse 16 that uh, the people that he brought into the covenant, the children of Israel brought out of, out of Egypt, that they rejected his ordinances, his statutes. They did not walk in them. They even profaned his Sabbaths for this heart continually went after them. And he, so he resolved to pour his wrath out against them in the wilderness. Where was that verse? Guys, if y'all know, put it in the comments. Because I, I I used to have it uh, memorized, but I don't anymore, apparently. I'll bring you under the rod, the rod and the bond of covenant. Yeah, I'm not seeing it anywhere not seeing it anywhere. I know it's in there, but I know it's uh, the context is not what you're is not what is being implied. I'll, I apologize. I can't. If you guys, it's Ezekiel 2025, 20, David Shearer is saying. OK, let's look at it. I must be just reading right over it. OK, yeah, I was right there. All right, so let's just read this passage here. So I resolved to pour my wrath on them to accomplish my anger against them. This is those that rejected his covenant, rejected his ways, his Sabbaths. He says, but I withdrew my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations whose sight had brought them out. Also, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations, disperse them among the lands. That's eventually what happened with the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And because they had not observed my ordinances, but had rejected my statutes and had profaned my Sabbaths and their eyes were on the idols of their fathers. It's the idolatry we were talking about earlier from Hosea chapter six. I also gave them statutes that were not good and ordinance by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their gifts. And in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire. They're practicing child sacrifice. So this is in the same vein, because remember we're talking about the days of Ezekiel, the same vein that they're practicing. Um, they're worshiping other gods at the same time that they're, Harlotry they're trying to claim that they worship Yahweh they're still doing the temple services With the Levite priests, but they're also Sacrificing their children to Molech and Abel And Asherah and they're doing other things So they're they're worshipping other gods at the same Time so therefore the ordinances The statutes that were not good and the ordinances Which they could not live by Meaning they rejected them So this is not saying that what he encouraged Them was bad Because <laughs> he's talking about them rejecting His covenants to go do this so to say that his statutes were not good, if you if you think that the concept, and this is just a poor, in my opinion, a poor translation, but you think that the context of this is saying that all the statutes that he just said he gave them, that they broke and they rebelled against, that they weren't good, but he's chastising him for doing the opposite of what he said was not good, that's double-mindedness. That's not at all the context of the entire covenant that he gave to Israel and also you know to mankind, if anyone in faith and believe he gets crafted in Israel. That's not at all. This is, this is him talking about they could not live by them because they rejected them. In their heart, they wanted to do worship other unclean gods. Their gifts they were bringing were unclean, it says in verse 26. So he gave them statutes and ordinances that were not good because it. Because what do we know from Deuteronomy 27, 28, and 29? If you do these things, it'll go well with you. All the statutes and commandments he had given them for their civil behavior, their moral behavior, their their um, the priesthood, everything involved with the sacrificial system for them to make a meal before the Father and enjoy the feast days and the Sabbaths. Everything that's being previously mentioned in the the verses above, verse 25, they rejected. They didn't want to do them. They kept rebelling. He's having to punish them. And that's what he promises he would do to them. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 and 29. If you don't do what I told you, all these commandments that you agreed to, the covenant that you agreed to, and that you re-up every year at Shavuot, then bad things are going to happen to you. And that's exactly what he's talking about. That's that's all it is. It's just the wording sounds weird. So um, again, he's not getting rid of all the future prophecy about his law being kept in the, in the millennial reign. He's not saying that his covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of Israel was bad. This is a very poor translation or very poor interpretation and eisegetical insertion of opinion to support veganism of something that has nothing to do with it. Revelation 21 tells us there'll be no more death. We're to be in dishonest with ourselves as we say the animals will not be included. No, we're not. We're being contextual with the text, that's simply all it comes down to. Like I said before, the, the promise of eternal life and no death is only promised to mankind. All right. So that's, uh, that's basically all I got. I'm going to try to address some of the questions that were here uh, in the chat. Yeah, we, we talked about this last um on episode 47, Joy, that yeah, Jesus after his resurrection body when he's glorified, which is the circumstance that the the arguments from veganism say that, you know, oh, in heaven, when we're all glorified at the resurrection, they say oh, in heaven we won't need to eat meat. Well, Yeshua is literally eating fish right in front of his disciples in his glorified body before he ascends to heaven. It's, I mean, he didn't need to eat meat, but he did because he can, because he's a real person. I think it also, in addition to not understanding the covenant, not understanding the Torah, the law and the prophets, I think another big misunderstanding that supports veganism is the folks misunderstanding of what the actual resurrection is. And, you know, what is promised to us uh, by God and to get an eternal body like Yeshua received at the resurrection. It's a real body. It's a real body. In fact, I had someone ask on our Patreon. um, Guys, if you, if you like what we're doing, want to go support us, uh, check out the Patreon link below. We also get a PayPal. But I really appreciate the super chats tonight. And that's really a blessing to everybody. But we had someone ask through our Patreon just today. Um, I guess it was their daughter or granddaughter was asking them. And if you're watching, I, I'm going to address your answer right now and also write you back real quick. But she was like, well, when we when we get to heaven, we have new bodies. Are we going to need to use the restroom? Because <laughs> if we eat food, you know, like at the, the wedding supper of the lamb, are we going to all have to go to the restroom afterwards? And I would personally, I would say no, uh, and there's nothing in Scripture that says one way or the other. For for let me put, just put that out there like this, okay? There's nothing in Scripture. There's in the Old Testament about how they had to bury their refuse and the and when they were in the desert, um, which is great hygienic practices. But you're you're on Earth and you have a body with a reproductive system or excuse me, an excretory system that uh, pushes out waste that you can't be used. But I posit since if if that's what we would do in heaven then that's what we do in heaven but i posit that we might not have to do that with our glorified body because it will make perfect use of all the because it's working perfectly it's not it's not what we have now which is corrupted bodies that can't process everything properly because we have all this natural things that are not perfected anymore in our body so when we get our glorified incorruptible body it's it's possibly um, we'll be able to process everything we eat and drink and, and, uh, our skin is porous by the way. I don't know if you guys realize that, but your skin is a, is an organ as well. And it's porous and it actually lets stuff out. That's why when you have uh, cystic builds up and things like that. You get acne and you get, you know, problems, you know, you get stuff that messes with the, the, the top of your skin layers. But what I'm saying is I, in my understanding of the resurrection body, if we do have to go to the bathroom, we'll take care of it properly. It won't be a big idea, but if it's a very strong likelihood that it may just our body, you know, consumes all of it internally and processes all of it naturally. And then it would just um, come out as air uh, in a sense, you know, the way it's designed to through through um, the natural pores of our skin. So that's uh, anyway, it's just that kind of gets into some some speculation because it's not directly stated in the scripture. But that's my speculation. So. Yeah, nice. Yeah, in heaven, we'll all be using Angel Soft toilet paper. That's great, man. That's like a dad joke right there. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Put that on a t shirt. Will we poop in heaven? Angel Soft. All right, David Shear is asking the big question here, or maybe he's repeating it from somebody else. This is what we tried to address in episode 47. If people choose to be vegan because they don't want to eat animals, is that offensive to God? We're not in ancient Israel. There's no standing temple. There's no priesthood in effect that expects you to show up. If you claim to be part of Israel and want to keep the laws of Israel, they don't expect you to show up with an, a sacrificial lamb for Passover. We are encouraged to keep the law. And then where it's prophesied. In Deuteronomy thirty, and that we will be keeping awake, will call to mind his instructions, his laws, his ordinances, and all the lands that were scattered under the heaven. Deuteronomy thirty verses one through four, and this is the time leading up to the resurrection. This is an actual prophecy. So that's what you—that's what you're experiencing by watching me, someone that grew up in church in a mainstream Christianity, where that most of the churches taught the law of God's done away with. Now you just follow Jesus, whatever that means. Because they would were, they were not connect the two, that following Jesus is actually learning the commandments of God. So you're watching someone that's transitioned from that that understanding, what I would call that misunderstanding, into a more scriptural, contextual understanding of how to be a disciple of Yeshua of Nazareth. And a part of that is keeping the commandments. And I'm scattered from Israel. I don't live in Israel. So it was prophesied there would be no standing temple, that the, the priesthood would be done away with and then rechosen again when yeshua returns to the earth and the only other temple that god ordains would be the new jerusalem that comes down so sacrifices are done in a temple um so this whole concept is that if you decide willingly now that you're in dispersion you come to faith in christ this is why i talked about you know um Last time is that, you know, if you're, if you're weak in your conscience and you just don't understand the law of God yet, because you're still learning, you're kind of a newbie to the faith. And you still think that, you know, eating meat is wrong or bad or whatever, because you just haven't been told yet. That's one thing. Paul dresses that in Romans 14. If you're willingly rejecting the idea and you think, I don't, you think that God is bad for instruction, the actual idea of animal sacrifices. Now you're rubbing against his actual behavior. So we have in Exodus 12, the command of Passover before they were in the land that they were to eat the Passover lamb, right? So a lot of people say, well, yeah, Sean, but there's after they built the temple in Israel, when they were in the land, they were then told to, to bring it to the door of the temple of meeting in Jerusalem. And that's where they would slaughter the Passover lamb, which is what we see in 2nd Hezek- in, uh, Chronicles chapter 30. And also that was with Hezekiah's kingship. We see it again uh, done in, in the days of Josiah in 2nd Chronicles chapter 35. Yes yes so we don't have a temple we can't take an animal over there we don't do all that right and if they build a third one over there that's that's not ordained by god that's not scripture that's not prophesied that's just men playing religion so what do we do now that we're scattered across the world and we're not regathered in the resurrection yet the kingdom's not down and all this prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet that still has come to pass we do the best what we can we practice his behavior as much as that applies to us me personally I'm gonna to try to keep the commandments as much as I can. So my wife and I we make um, celebratory meals, like a memorial meal, which is ex- that's what the, the feasts and the Passover were anyway. That um, just like Yeshua and he did with the disciples, and they're having Passover in Luke 22 and Matthew 26. Um, they're not having that meal at the doorway of the tent of meeting with um, with the you know with the priests. They're having that meal at their house. Now, yes that lamb that they were having with the bread and wine that was already prepared it was taken during the day according to the law of god to the door of the tent meeting for a priest to slay it for them because that was the that was the instruction but then they would take their portion of the meat back and cook it amongst themselves so this is this is what passover would be um it's just you can make a celebratory meal same thing with shavuot this is what we see in the book of Tobit, chapter two he's in dispersion across the euphrates in the land of assyria uh, Tobit was from the northern house of Naphtali and he was uh, you know a part of the of the generation that was actually invaded by the kings of Assyria in second kings chapter 15 started this onslaught of 25 years of several different assyrian kings coming in and invading the northern house of israel and scattering them and Tobit as being in the tribe of naphtali he and his family were taken across the euphrates east into the land of uh, assyria and the ectabon and Medea and there He's under great persecution, but he's still trying to keep Shavuot, Pentecost. He's still trying to keep it the best he can, and he and his wife are just making a celebratory meal. That's all it is, man. It doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be. So he just takes a day off work to celebrate, you know, Shavuot, makes a meal with his wife, but honors it to God. Because all the other requirements involved, he couldn't go to Jerusalem. There's no temple at that time during Tobit's life. The priest had been scattered, um, or excuse me, there was a temple through most of that time in his life, but he couldn't go back because he was in exile. He was under Assyrian rule. so he couldn't go back to it. So the, the point is, like, you can still observe these things and practice his behavior. You can practice the thing that's promised you'll be doing forever when the kingdom comes and you're resurrected and taken inside your land of inheritance. Um, but yes, we all understand right now we cannot do everything to the letter. So we do the best we can in the spirit of the law with love, trying to practice the best we can. So. Hopefully that's a decent answer for you, brother. Sorry it took a little bit of time, but okay, Vision and Watchman is asking about um, Psalm Ecclesiastes 3.19. I think we already read that earlier. I don't know if you were if you you, you were here the whole time. We already read that earlier, but uh, also let's look at Psalm 7419 real quick. If I can bring this up. Okay. One passage. Um, it says, "Do not deliver the soul of your turtle dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your afflicted forever." Yeah, I never said they didn't have souls. I just said they're not promised resurrection like mankind is. They're not promised the same thing that we are. Can they be resurrected? Sure. But there's no in all of scripture, there's no place for them that is guaranteed a place of preservation, like the souls of mankind are, who await judgment, um, you know, either unto eternal death or unto eternal life, the resurrection, into your glorified body. So that whole concept of Sheol, there's no animals mentioned in Sheol. So this is an idea where sure they can have a soul. Guys, just remember the soul is simply the uh, you know, we all know that animals have personality. Anyone that's owned a pet should know this, that animals have personality. You can see that. You can see their different behaviors and they learn. Um, they they sometimes rebel. Sometimes they, you know, they're super loving. Sometimes they're angry. You know, they have emotional continuity. They have distress. They have sadness. Uh, they have emotions. They have, they learn information. That's all a soul is technically. It's the, the body, which is the mate of the flesh, the dirt of the earth. The energy of God which is called the breath of life. And when it joins into the flesh of the earth, that's designed for it, right? It creates a living soul. Just as what Genesis 2, 7 is explained about Adam. Same thing with all the animals, right? There was a body, the spirit of God that animates all things. The Sol- song of Solomon uh, talks about, or excuse me, the wisdom of Solomon talks about. Um, this is the idea that the moment that those two come together, then suddenly this living being, becomes a living soul and starts collecting data and information and learning behaviors, expressing personality, desires, wants, physical needs. This is a part of the soul. The difference is, in Scripture, there's nowhere anywhere that promises the souls of of animals are to be preserved and await judgment or resurrection. So this is why they're considered brute beasts in certain passages. But mankind is not. We're going to be held responsible for every word and deed. Very different. Very different. Hope that's a decent answer for you, brother. Uh, Royce Bill, uh, not that I know of, I, but uh, if you, you know, I would just encourage reading first, 1 uh, first Samuel, St. Kings, St. Chronicles, um, but I don't know of any extra biblical text beyond those historical texts. Okay, looks like. Um, All right, see the different questions in here. Looks like Stephen Schofield is asking Did it mention meat when Tobit was honoring the feast outside the land? Uh, no, unfortunately, it doesn't. Just said his wife made him a meal. But again, brother, Jubilee 6, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 28, uh, excuse me, Numbers 28, Um, Shavuot includes an animal sacrifice where you would eat eat meat. Let me see here. Um, Genesis 3230, I'm pretty sure that's, uh, we're talking about, Jacob wrestling with an angel. He's you know, for Jacob saw Penuel, the face of God. Now it's the face of Elohim. That's the this is where we've always talked about the importance of understanding what the word Elohim in the Hebrew actually means. And so, um, just like, no offense, Gerald, but I would say a better question for you for you is not John one eighteen, but it would be uh, Exodus thirty three, where where uh, Yahweh tells Moses, flesh cannot see my face and live. So that would be if what you think is being said in Genesis thirty-two thirty, that would be contradicted sooner than John one eighteen. It'd be contradicted right there in Exodus thirty-three. So, but that's not that's not the case anyway because the word in Exodus thirty-two thirty is the word Elohim. So let's just go there real quick. It's actually specifically Penuel, um, which is the name of an actual angel. But that's another conversation. So let's go there. All right, right, I'll pull this on the screen for you, brother. So here in verse 30, it says, uh, So Jacob named the place Penuel, meaning seen the face of God. And the sun rose upon him just as he, I'm sorry, for he said, I've seen the face, I've seen Elohim, God, face to face, yet my life has been preserved. So this is the part we want to look at right here. Okay, brother, this is where you see the inserted, the translator has made this word God a big G God. But let's look at the text. It didn't say Yahweh. It didn't say um. He says, for I've seen God. And the insert, the translator has to make a decision when they see this word in the Hebrew, Elohim, according to what they think is happening, they make a decision whether to capitalize the G or to put it lowercase. When they capitalize it, it can confuse people, right? It makes you think, oh, they've seen the Almighty God. But the word can mean little g-god or a big g-god. Well, this is why little g-god refers to divine beings, or little G gods, or rulers, mighty ones. This is the idea. This is why this word, little G God, Elohim, is used of angels. This is why he's not seeing the actual almighty, the face of God. He wrestled with an angel of God. This is how God uses his angels to come down. Hebrews 14 to, to, to be ministers, to give messages to mankind. And this is what's happening in Genesis 32, verse 30. I hope that's a decent answer for you, brother. We have to understand what does the word God mean and how it's used. All right, guys, we are running up on the end of the broadcast. I'll maybe take one more question. Yeah, you're right, Angelo. They are. Some of them, uh, some of the animals are just hilarious, man. They really are. Our little dogs are hilarious. Uh, Goats are hilarious. They got so much rams, you know, they just want to knock everything with their heads. Hilarious to me. Um, they have personality for sure. Okay. Last question, guys. Um, Royce Bell is asking, was Moses, was Moses always a Jewish priest? Did he always know he was from Israel? Yes. Yes. We've actually done an entire video on this how he was actually raised by his family and then when he was of age he went into the court of egypt and learned all the knowledge of, and the wisdom of egypt um, because he was still under the overall i hate to say it like this but he was yeah you know, he was basically you know taken into custody by the daughter of pharaoh but then you know the the shrewdness of miriam his sister to to say well, oh, we should get a hebrew nursemaid to go to, to go breastfeed him and she went and just got moses's mother. And so then when you actually read Jubilees and Exodus and put them together, um, you actually see that Moses is, he was raised in, uh, at least to the age of 18 or 20, he's raised by his actual Hebrew parents who were Levites. And then he was given over to um, the Egyptians to be trained by them and all their wisdom and knowledge. So this is why he is the perfect character to be able to come back at 80 years old for the father to take back to his people because he knew what his people knew. He knew what they were supposed to the covenant. They were supposed to be keeping. Um, this is, this is why he had internal conflict with seeing his own people, you know, being uh, under slavery and oppression and being beaten by the, by the whipmaster. So, but at the same time, it also gave him an incredible sophisticated nuance and, and, translator ability if you will to be able to translate cultures between the egyptians and the hebrews knowing the problems by growing up as a hebrew but then being trained in the egyptian court we actually go over this in one of our kingdom portions um, it's called wicked and adulterous generation and it let me go. let me go find that real quick and i'll try to put that in the chat for you my wife and i go over this with lots of scripture in one of our kingdom portions so one second let me try to find that for you real quick Because basically we're just covering the first uh, six chapters of Exodus in this kingdom portion. And we talk about this exact question. So it's, it's a good question. A lot of people don't realize, by the way, the word Jewish just means it just, that's a word that's kind of morphed over time. Um, it just comes from um, the, the idea what they would say in like the second Temple period from the days after Ezra leading up to the Maccabees, they called the Jewelry. This is something that kind of arose from uh, what the, the people of the land that were coming back in during the days of the Maccabees, as well as the Greeks, they started calling them the inhabitants of Judea that were actually Israelites. They called them the Jews, and then this, and because most of them were from uh, the tribe of Judah, from the the returning exiles from the Southern Kingdom. So there's that's that's a word that literally morphed from the tribe of Judah because inside the overarching tribe of Judah was Benjamin, Simeon, and uh, the some of the Levites that went into exile with the Southern Kingdom. So. They were mixed in, and actually more than that. I actually go over this in my identity crisis video, um, which is why we see uh, someone from the tribe of Asher in the temple in Luke chapter two. So th- there's a there's a there's a lot to that word. I probably should do an entire morning cup of context just on that word. Um, but Moses knew he was raised as as a um, in, within a Levite family amongst his Hebrew brethren, and yes, he knew exactly the covenant he was supposed to be keeping, where he was from and he this is why he was chosen by the father because he had the knowledge to know what was going on and how to come back and and encourage the people to be in covenant with the father so let me drop this this for you this link and you're welcome to check this out later if you like okay brother i just dropped it in the chat for you guys i really appreciate everybody i love i appreciate your um your you know good questions tonight i appreciate um those of you who dropped a super chat you're amazing and you know just continue to pray for me uh we're working with lighthouse as you as you saw the intro coming in we're we're doing everything we can to to get this ready to launch the way it needs to launch so if you haven't already please go over to our facebook group for lighthouse and uh, make sure that you go let me go to this real quick and i'll pull it on the screen for everybody Make sure you go in here and sign up for this group because this is where we'll be be doing announcements. Uh, We're at 6,600 viewers or uh, 6,600 group members so far, and we'll be doing announcements on you know what's the group about in the in a few minutes, a few months. Excuse me, I said this wrong. I'm speaking way too fast. I apologize. In the coming weeks we're gonna be dropping more information, even with videos, some of the advertisements that we're gonna be having before it launches to show little bits of the platform, uh, to show, you know, to give you more and more teasers about what it's actually gonna be and how it's gonna benefit you. And I'm already putting a lot of information um, in this group as well. So make sure you go check out this group if you're on Facebook join doesn't cost you anything the whole purpose of the group is that if you're in there and i'm sharing stuff that that you like that you can then share on your social media is it help us get the word out and get around the suppression of the algorithms uh, because people see you sharing it and then they'll come to the group and realize what is this new free speech platform that's going to be better than facebook and twitter and youtube like what in the world that's a big audacious claim what are you guys talking about you really think you can compete with compete with those guys yes Yes, we can. We've got something pretty special and we're happy to present it as soon as we can. So we're still finishing it up and uh, we're getting close, though. So I just want to encourage everyone, get you ready, get you excited, because the idea is that if we can get 30 to 40,000 people waiting, like if we can grow this group to 30 to 40,000 people and the moment we launch, everyone starts coming over it won't feel like me, we won't feel like parlor because it, you actually start seeing people that, you know, and you can come over and you'll you know, start seeing activity and people are already be selling stuff and putting up videos. And, you know, so we're working on that's part of what I do during the day is to help work on the pre-marketing launch for this. So pray for me, that God gives me wisdom and guidance. I, I I'm asking, thank you so much. Um, it's just uh it's going to be benefit. And it's going to be a blessing to all of us guys, even the people that don't like me you're going to be blessed by it too. Even the people that are out there that slander me, that say that I'm such a horrible person, even the other ministries out there that for some reason don't like what I teach, they won't even talk to me or come on my show and they never return my messages um, to try to build bridges. All those people, they're going to be blessed by it too. And I'm happy, I'm happy that they will be because this is my heart for the body, that we actually can provide blessing to not just believers, but the world. Because we're actually... In a unique state right now in our country, we are that we've got encroaching government regulation, overstep, overreach, censorship, uh, Marxist agenda encroaching upon every person in this country and in other countries all over the world. We're in a critical time right now. Lighthouse is going to be what it sounds like. That's our goal is to give hope so that you can see that light in the darkness and know where to go. And so we're just we're just going to need your help. So we really appreciate you guys. And we hope to see you tomorrow night. Uh, My wife and I are going to be doing a milk and meat tomorrow night together. So don't miss it. We're going to be talking about the Sabbath and uh, we hopefully it's a blessing to you. All right. We'll see you then.